What's up, guys? What's up? This is Jordan. <laughs> this is Joe. Uh, and uh, we're uh, the 8 a.m. Shift. shift. Yeah. I got caught up on guys. I was like, what's up, guy? <laughs> it's like I was just talking to you, but I'm talking to the shifters. You know, right? <laughs> guys. <laughs> uh, what's up? Nothing much. So I think we know what we want to talk about today. Yeah. I think we're here to talk about Ready Player One. <laughs> Not that we haven't told, spoken about it on this podcast already. True. We spoke about it uh, last time with Frazier. Um, at the time, I hadn't watched it. And now that I've watched it, you want to talk a little more about uh, it? Yeah, I, I think we, I, I think we should certainly talk about it some more. I also think that some of the some of the conversation points we'll have in this episode may lead, lend themselves to a future episode because the movie deals with a dystopian angle, right? And Joe and I are huge fans of '80s dystopia. Thank you, Ronald Reagan. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Uh, and we, yeah, now we we have some uh, cool ideas for a possible uh, episode looking into the, yeah, uh, sort of the, the '80s and um, some of the artwork that was coming yeah. out, cinematic, cinematic, you know, whether or maybe right. comic book Com- literature. Oh, absolutely, right. absolutely. Yeah. So don't steal our idea, anybody, because <laughs> we're putting this out there. For, uh, they, they can't do it like us, though. Exactly. That's why we're the ADM shift. shift. The one and only. Uh, yeah, so, you know what? Let, let's, uh, we have we a really awesome uh, um, interview lined up for this episode, so I also don't want to, like, go too nuts. Uh, but what was um, uh, your sort of first opinions or your takeaway like from watching Ready Player One, after, especially after us having spoken a little bit about right. it before you went into it? Right. So I wrote notes down after I watched it. Look oh at me. Man, look at you all well, professional. I, I know. I have a bachelor's degree. Look at you. You're writing, you're writing notes. You're not even telling me about it. You got me over here winging it. Right. <laughs> so off jump, um, the the soundtrack was dope. Right. You know, I love 80s music. Great soundtrack. Um, I have, I've had uh, Cindy Lauper's Time After Time stuck in my head. <laughs> I, I, I kid you not, that and Drake's Nice For What are playing simultaneously in the back of my mind <laughs> as I am working. It's a very, it's a very jarring, but not, but not entirely crazy uh, combination like of music. It's a little scary in your head, Jordan. I'm just saying that now. It's just a lot of neon pink and... and, and <laughs> <laughs> um, I also thought of... This episode of South Park called the Imagination Land episode. You know, which I you mentioned that to me, like right after Jordan texted me, like right after he saw or something, maybe email texted me, and he was like, "Imagination Land episode South Park," and I actually haven't seen it, so I gotta hop out and uh, check that out. I gotta find it somewhere. Yeah, it's the movie's not the same as Imagination Land from South Park episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because like the, it's it just like even the analogy between the two is just like a, a little over the top, but. <laughs> There's like this this kind of like battle sequence at, in in the episode. It's actually a two part episode from South Park, right? And even that that battle sequence is an homage to uh, Saving Private Ryan, right? Or right, any right. like great war war film, right? So it, it was predicated on it just being like a huge pop cultural homage, right? And if you think about Ready Player One, is like ba- is based on the idea of it being a giant like smorgasbord of pop culture, right? Um, I my girlfriend also mentioned uh, Wreck It Ralph, which I actually haven't watched. Wreck It Ralph is great. I love it. But and you want to know what? I never even thought about that. That's actually a great um, 
a great film to sort of r- reference when you know in the sort of the same guy right, right right um ready player one record ralph is awesome one great ep- better movie than ready <laughs> one in my opinion uh but oh ouch it sort of does that in the sort of the video game world right where it's like touching on all these things right yeah, that's a nice catch asia i didn't uh, didn't even think of that um you know other 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 good things I thought about the movie. It was nice to see the return of the Iron Giant. Yes, uh, <laughs> there was a decent amount of diversity, which I can respect. Uh, we're likely going to get a Gundam movie, if not here, but then overseas. But I really kind of <laughs> wish we would get a Gundam movie. It's funny because like I know a lot of people who like into Gundam, but like they it never blew up, right? Even like say. Um, like Dragon Ball Z, even though that's very popular too, that also never blew up. To, it's like it's very niche, you know what I'm saying? Like Gundam, well, Dragon Ball Z. There, it was like I could tell you tons of dudes I knew growing up who loved it, but would a movie be hugely successful? Well, the Dragon Ball Z movie that did come out it was awful. It was awful, and, and it had a white guy. In and and you're, you're saying this as someone that watched this. <laughs> Joe, you watched this movie? I've seen it on cable, yeah. I definitely didn't go to theaters to see that movie. Are you kidding me? When they casted the kid from the Chum Scrumber in it, I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I can watch this movie. Yeah, I know. Joe and I are, are Joe and I are classy people. We don't watch Dragon Ball Z movies. We watch movies like Hamlet 2 <laughs> and Zack and Marie. Um, hey, Zack and Marie is a good movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, I would say... Kevin Smith's last good Yeah, movie. <laughs> I would agree, too. Uh, but, yeah, so it's funny that you say that because Dragon Ball Z, I would say, was way more popular than Gundam. Gundam it's way more popular Gundam's than Gundam. Gundam's actually the more niche one, if you think about it. But they're both still kind of niche because, like, even if Dragon Ball Z, like, a, a huge following, but I don't think, like, say, like, a Marvel-sized um, Dragon Ball Z movie there's just uh, there's a still a large part of the community uh, or of the country of uh, America that wouldn't know what Dragon Ball Z right. is. Right. But Dragon Ball Z is a second life now because of memes and chips. <laughs> I mean like Gundam doesn't really have, have memes. Like I I think Dragon Ball Z has like the most memes and I think they would actually do well with a, a G- mega franchise. Or Gundam at least, a lot of people aren't going to know what the hell you tell. Like oh, <laughs> I'm sure there're going to be people listening to this podcast. You mean Voltron, like, right? <laughs> Voltron. Voltron. You mean Voltron, right? <laughs> Uh, I love Voltron. Don't insult Voltron. <laughs> uh, I actually I tried watching the uh, not tried watching like I watched a little of the uh, Netflix Voltron show and it, w- it wasn't bad actually. But I just never kind of. I think I got through like five minutes of it and then I was like, "That's it. You were done." <laughs> no, you know what? I don't really. I didn't really get into Voltron as much when I was younger. Oh, I loved it. My brother and I were huge Voltron fans. Voltron. And uh, the Centurions. Uh, <laughs> we love the Centurions. I, I mean, I've got very weird taste, as a matter of fact. Here we go. You know, I really, I really like Dino Riders when I was a Dino kid. Dino Riders is great. No, 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 it's not. Don't watch it now. Uh, <laughs> you, went back? you went no, back? No, I mean. I tell you, my, Mike and I had like the tapes for Dino Riders. We, toys, we had the, the, toy, toys. the toys were oh, the best. The toys, the toys were the best. If you're not aware of Dino Riders, it was this cartoon where like these guys, these two like factions, like, like you know, bad and good. They sort of get sucked into this alternate universe or sucked back in time, whatever happens, and there's dinosaurs. So, but they have all I the, think it's another planet, actually. Well, whatever it is. Like, <laughs> it's planet dinosaur. And, uh, but, like, they have all this technology. So, like, 
they like ride dinosaurs. Like they're able to like put all these like guns and stuff. Yeah. On. So, so the other thing that makes oh, this crazy. ridiculous though it's is that crazy. the bad guys in it were like these like um, I would, would they be like anamorphic? No, they wouldn't be anamorphic because they had human body. They had human bodies, but they their heads were like insect heads or something. Something like, like right? that. I remember. I forgot what they were called, but. I loved playing with the toys. But, oh, they were But the I remember reading, like, the Wikipedia when I was, like, 23. Like, again, I was like, well, how the fuck did I watch this <laughs> shit? Like, like, even the pretense makes zero fucking sense. No, but it was so stupid. But, like, as a kid, you eat it up. And then, like, when you're playing with the toys, like, I have a T-Rex with guns on his head. Like, how is that not awesome, George? George's cracking up. It's like, how is that not awesome for a kid, right? You know what's happening right now is some random, like... Hollywood producer is gonna like stumble onto this episode of the 8 a.m. shift and be like, Dino Riders, we have to bring it back, full fledged universe, three picture deal, live action. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm You're thinking about like, it. I'm like, did I have the T Rex with the guns on its head? I'm yes, you probably did. did man. <laughs> It was uh, it was a, it was a great show as a kid. It was a great yeah. Show. Oh yeah. Um, there's another one I vaguely remember, uh, called Captain Bucky O'Hare. I I, yeah, I, 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 I remember that. Um, which coincidentally, the one that was the creator for it was Larry Hama, who we were just speaking about. Earlier. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. cool. That's uh, we'll get into that later. We'll, get, we'll get into <laughs> that. episodes from now. Yeah, we'll get into that some other time. But uh, Larry Hama, he helped revolutionize. Uh, he was the guy that revamped GI Joe's in the '80s. Um, he's a very influential comic book writer and a visionary. Dope. Um, but yeah, so I guess back to Ready Player One, which now we're now we're totally like, man, Ready Player One would have been amazing with Dino Riders. <laughs> right? Like, where was the Dino? Where Rider? were the Dino Riders in Ready Player <laughs> One? Uh, um, but I think the the general sentiment that we had, and Joe, you read the book. Yeah. I didn't read the book. But after what you told me was after everything you described, the book sounds a little bit better than the movie. I think the book's a lot better than the movie, but I don't, I don't want to kind of like beat a dead horse like we we have. I've mentioned it before. We have it a little in the interview that's coming up in this episode. But yes, uh, I would say go check the book out. If you either if you like the movie or hate the movie, I would say check it out either way because I think you're and it's going to sort of further your appreciation if you did like the movie. And if you hated the movie, you read the book and be like, "Oh, this is where this would have gone right." You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, I would suggest get out and read it. So, I think part of the stuff that was missing from the movie too is just um you know, we've talked about in the past that the best movies always have some social element. Right. And I think one of the flaws of this movie is that there's a lot of stuff happening right now that they could have inserted into it. They didn't. Right. Um, I guess partly for the sake of brevity, partly for the sake of making it more family friendly. Also not for it to not get too heady, which I can, I, 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 I can understand why. But there were times where like you, you were like, at the very least, they could have added this part into right. it. Right. You know, I, I often cite, and I cited in the conversation that we're about to have with... Salima, that you know, Gamergate could have actually been somehow incorporated into this, and it's like slightly hinted at a little right. bit, but they don't really go too far, too deep with it, you know. Um, yeah, it would have been it would have been a cool, uh, cool thing to throw in there, like yeah. uh, to to sort of make a comment on the whole Gamergate situation. I know we're like about Gamergate, well, about a year or two out now, like yeah, since, like, oh, like since that whole thing, years, but yeah. about a two, yeah, but um. 
you know, just to sort of say, you know, we're still, you know, it's it's not something that that's been forgotten, you know. Right. Right. Um. Yeah, I didn't. I don't think it. It. it um. The, I guess it the didn't emo- move you. Yeah, too. the emotional <laughs> aspect of it was kind of like. Like, it didn't you know, move him like Dino Riders does. Yeah. <laughs> Exa- I couldn't have said it any better, Joe. <laughs> there you go. Um, cool. So, um, see, Guardian. See, I'll put this: Guardians of the Galaxy, as weird as it sounds, right. actually moved me in a way. And, moved me too. Um, I love it. <laughs> I, I know. I know this sounds almost absurd saying it like this, but if you think about it, at the time, like a lot of those Marvel movies had kind of. I mean, I love them, but they had become kind of cookie cutter in a lot right, of ways, right. and. Guardians, if you think about the first the first one in particular, the whole movie is just a giant homage. Like right. all it is an homage, right? right? But it's like the best type of homage, right? It's it's like it doesn't take itself too seriously. It knows how to insert humor. Right. Um it's it's self referential at times, you know. Um even like when you start noticing certain things too, like the relationship between like uh uh uh, Ra- uh Rocket Raccoon and, and Groot. Right. Is very is similar to Han Solo and Chewbacca, right, you know, right. and it's like all those things like really like those were like those retro, retro vibes that really made me feel a certain way. And then on top of that, the soundtrack to Guardians just kind of like hooked you into it as well, right? You know, it's like it do- it does a little of what Ready Player One was doing, but it's not as like blatantly obvious uh, in terms of like, you know, like you said, Rocket and Groot are sort of like that Chewbacca and Han, mm. but like. Ready Player One would have had Chewbacca and Han. Han, exactly. And it's like this is right. like disguised in, in some way. Right. Um, yeah, uh, there's a really cool article. Uh, I believe it was on Birth Movies Death. Um, and I can link it on maybe social media somewhere. But um, about Guardians of the Galaxy and sort of how James Gunn, the director, sort of shaped where the next phase of Marvel is going yeah. with those movies yeah. because he, after so, sort of those previous movies becoming sort of very cookie cutter, they went to James Gunn and were kind of like, give us the movie you want right. to right. And now they're sort of doing that. So like you see Ryan Coogler with Black Panther, right? Yeah. You see uh, uh, Thor, um, Taika Waititi. Right. Uh, and it, that's very much like his movie, right? So now they're in this next phase, they're moving into sort of getting these directors and letting letting them put their stamp on these films. Right, and that right. was like James Gunn led that basically with the Guardians films. And yes, they they're following certain rules because right, Marvel Disney needs those movies to go in a certain direction. But they're ba- but they're still letting them make sort of the films they want to make as long as like certain story points adhere to what they need them to adhere to. Right. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I love the Guardians films. I yeah. think they're super fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So we've got an interview slash conversation. Tell us who we're interviewing. I was I was, I was waiting. I, I wasn't saying Salima more <laughs> because I wanted you to introduce oh, yeah. it. But you said it. So now yeah, tell us who with, we're interviewing. Uh, um, a f- Filmmaker, friend of mine, Salima Chroma. She directed a documentary that you catch on Netflix. It's called Bad Rap. It premiered at Tribeca in 2016. So mm-hmm. I think also this is ho- totally relevant because Tribeca Film Festival 2018 is coming up very shortly. Right. Um, she spoke to us a little bit about the process for um, Bad Rap entering entering the festival circuit, but also entering um, becoming a, 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 a documentary that you see on streaming services. Right, right. And she also gave us her thoughts on Ready Player One. Uh, yeah, she was 
great interview, man. She's an awesome person. Salima yeah. rocks. And um, I think we got a really good one here for the shifters. Yep. And right before we hit this minor break, just a heads up, there are going to be a little bit of spoilers. Oh, yeah. just <laughs> There are going to be some Ready Player One spoilers in this interview, guys. So if you uh, we you usually don't want to tell people to shut the podcast off. But if you haven't seen it yet and you want, don't want anything ruined, uh, that may happen in this next one. Uh, so here's Salima. Yep. The strongest. The strongest. The strongest. So Joe and I ended up speaking with uh, my friend Salima, a filmmaker. Thank you for inviting me. So, Salim, why don't you tell us something that you're proud of, your background, anything that you want to share? Yeah, let's... Oh, I'm, a pr- I'm so proud of so many things in my life. That's good. And also... <laughs> Jordan and I are not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in fact, this podcast is the only thing we're proud of. <laughs> I'm proud of you guys, okay? That's awesome. Um, Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. I... You heard that, Mom? <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a filmmaker. Uh, so, Jordan and I met while I was shooting a documentary called Bad Rap, which is a, a documentary about Asian rappers. And that was like really cool. And, and I was sort of trying to figure out who were going to be my characters, who my characters were going to be. And so I, I forgot about this, but Jordan, I sat down with you for like an hour and a half and we had an interview and I still have that interview. And jo- I, I should go back and look wait, at wait, that. Wait, 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 hold on. Jordan, are you Moonlight as an Asian rapper? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know about that. Jordan just knew a lot of Asian rappers. All right, and gonna... so, like, our interview, my interview with Jordan was it consisted of him being like, yeah, I'm Chinese, but I'm also American. <laughs> Yo, you know, you want to know what? That's what the show consists of. <laughs> no, you know, it's funny. The way you say that, it sounds like, that's, it sounds um like exactly like every, it sounds like every Asian American that has, like, a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. It literally sounds like everything that, that, that encompasses that. And. I'm curious to know how I come off back then. I had a shaved head back then. Yeah. Um, I still, I was probably. Dude, your head is like run the gamut. Like uh, you started <laughs> here with like long, crazy hair. So, so, Joe remember, so when Joe met me, I had a man bun. <laughs> did. Right, it was magnificent, oh. by the way. I remember that phase. Okay. And, yeah, then, right. and then after that, he, um, then I, I cut it and I have like right. a Caesar. I have to comb right now. <laughs> um, and then I'm thinking about growing it out. <laughs> You're yeah. going to go but, for the long But hair? no, it's funny because I met Selima. It was like 2013, 2012. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I knew she was like, it was interesting how. Um, How'd that happen? How'd you guys meet? Uh, through uh, my, my somebody who ended up being my partner. So I, uh, I got in contact with this guy named Jay Key who managed an Asian rapper and who right. knew a lot of Asian rappers and happened to be friends with Jordan. I don't know how yeah. you and Jay Key know each other. But um, I basically was just like, let me just interview all the Asians around. Right, 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 about, right. you know, Because, you know, Jordan knew hip hop, yeah, right? Yeah, he knows a lot. Um, and back then, yeah, during your shaved head phase... <laughs> You did have a chip on your shoulder. Like, you were upset, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I'm still upset, actually. Like, it's funny now because, um, and, you know, maybe we'll get to this in a later podcast. Right. But um, it's funny how, you know, you go back to 2012, um, the <laughs> identity politics of 2012, <laughs> vomiting in my mouth. Jordan's favorite phrase. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, my favorite phrase is problematic. And, and woke. Woke is my favorite phrase. I'm, I'm literally, like, I'm, I'm literally, like, turning a new shit inside of my, my intestines right now, hearing the word. 
saying the word woke right now. Um, so That's very descriptive, by the way, <laughs> for the listeners. 8 a.m. shift coffee. Um, no, like, I, so I think the landscape back then was was interesting. I think there's definitely been quite a few strides, and it's amazing the amount of work and amount of um, proliferation coming from Korea when it comes to influencing even, like, I guess, subcultures in, in America. Mm. Um, but now it's like you're seeing, a, like, another mutation of that, and you're starting to see, like, um, what happens when, like, hip-hop influences, you know, like, a country, a country like China, and the people there don't really have a huge, like, idea or context of mm. the history. Of right, that. right. Yeah, and, and I think, I, from what I remember, like, correct me if I'm wrong, at that time I think you'd only been to China once? I've never been to China. Oh, you actually. hadn't been to China. Never so, been to China. um, but I think- Chinatown. Yeah, Jordan, 8 a.m. shift in China. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think big he's- trouble. Big, <laughs> trouble. <laughs> big trouble in Little China. <laughs> Dude, that would totally have to be the title for that Joe episode. Joe would be the star of it. I would, <laughs> Joe would be the star. Big trouble in Little China would be the title oh, of that oh, <laughs> So I don't know if there was like that dual thing where you felt like, you know, uh, I am Chinese, but the chi- you know Chinese people don't accept me, but I'm American and American people don't accept me. Can I don't I s- know if that's what you were going Can through. Can I say something before you answer mm-hmm. that? Was, so like when Salima got here and I met her, she was like, you know, there's a chance I may turn this into me interviewing you guys. <laughs> and that's exactly what's happening I'm right so, now. This is me. This is my I job. I this is what it. I do. Answer the question, Jordan. Yes. <laughs> Tell me right now. Um... You know, I need to watch that interview again, and yeah. I'm I'm glad you didn't put it into bad rap. Because yeah. um, <laughs> then I I could totally see like what the, I could see everyone else looking at it like what the hell are you talking about? You know? <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's worth like reviewing years later down the line. Yeah. Because right. um, you know where you are when you're like 26 is not always where you were when you're like 32. Definitely right. not. You know. Yeah, I'll bust it out. Um, but yeah, that's how Jordan and I met. And uh, so the movie did, you know, uh, well, I started it when I was in grad school right. here in New York. And then it did, like, uh, the festivals, and then now it's on Netflix. And the really shitty thing about the version on Netflix, I mean, since we're talking about it, is... <laughs> we've, uh, got, we've got a Netflix documentarian in the house. Oh, oh, That's yeah, right, you know. people. <laughs> A.M. Yeah. shift like in a, the like house. A real filmmaker. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, and the thing about going to Netflix is... And the thing about doing... Okay, first... Think about doing a movie about rappers who are independent. They don't clear any of their music right. most of the time. Right. So it's all samples, you know, it's all this stuff. So I had to go back for Netflix and like re um, you know, get all the licensing right, right. and like cut out a lot of music and put in like sort of bullshit music. Right, so right. I watched the Netflix version, I just cringe, but nobody else knows. So I can't tell if it's as shitty as I think it is. When right, I watch but you it. yourself, you're like, oh, that Ugh. doesn't belong there. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so we did bad rap and you know, I sort of uh, met Jordan and Jordan was always with um let me not even get into that. So no, we're not even gonna get into that. I could tell you there's Jordan wears the bad rap pin proudly. He has it on his, his, yeah. his He work supported us a lot. He supported it a lot. Like, I mean, it's a dope concept for a documentary. It's <laughs> like you. I was watching a little bit of your Hot 97 interview, oh, right. too. Oh, that was And it was like, he was like, yo, like, I didn't even realize this was a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it was cool. Like, it brings to light something that, like, a lot of people are just not familiar mm-hmm. with, which it's an, it was an awesome concept. And on uh, it was Cypher Sounds, and the reason why he brought us in is because his wife is Asian. And um, right, right. he was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm just going to put this out there now, like... 
I grew up listening to hip hop, but like I'm I'm just not that much into like a lot of modern hip hop. So like I don't know anybody on Hot 97. <laughs> 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 I was just like that dude that who is into me, you like, know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that yeah, no, that that Should that's put cool. Some flex bombs on there. <laughs> 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 Um, no, nah, that's cool. Uh, can I, I, you may have answered this a little bit, but like, mm-hmm. so, uh, how, what sort of gave you the idea to roll into the documentary? Um, actually the, the, first of all, it was for my thesis, but what I wanted to do was a story about, <laughs> it was a documentary about K-pop. Cause okay. I'm, I was heavy into K-pop. Uh, I had like, a, I had the K-pop site with like, uh, you know, oh a, my, like 15 oh writers <laughs> oh and like, truth comes you know, out. graphic <laughs> and all this other stuff. It's funny because like, if you could, actually it's funny because it's like, you're a fan of K-pop. You can do another documentary about the subculture of not just K-pop, but the number of black women in America. Oh yeah. Oh, I've written I've K-pop. written articles. I've like for right. Complex about this very topic. I've like talked on like about this very topic, right. black girls in K-pop because it's like a thing and it's like um it's actually kind of interesting because if you watch K-pop videos, uh, a lot of the times uh, when they want when the men want to sort of validate themselves, it's the white girls that they put in the videos, right? right? right, right and right. when they want to validate themselves as cool, it's the black guys that they put in their videos. Uh. And every once in a while, they'll put in a black a black girl, but she's the dancer who's shaking her ass, right? right? right That's right. sort of you know validating our cool as well. So there's this sort of like love hate relationship where it comes uh, with black girls and K-pop. Uh, yeah. this, I think the documentary needs to happen. <laughs> this, is, know, this also sounds like a dope story. Well, see, the problem is, and this is why I didn't end up doing the K-pop documentary, is that the the companies are very like insulated. They right, don't really right. give interviews. They don't talk about anything, or mm. they don't want to talk to you about anything. So um, I had my I had called Jay Key. My, who ended up being my partner later because he was a writer for Double XL and had done mm. this article with G Dragon, who's a K-pop artist, and I was like, you know, this guy's in Double XL. You know, G Dragon called up JQ, and JQ was like, listen, Ma, you're not gonna get this K-pop uh, documentary. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you know, what we should do uh, Asians in hip hop, and I was like, hmm, you know. It's, it's funny. It's funny you've been making him right now because, like, so for all that know, for all all those I know, know JQ. He's he's Korean, Korean American. He's born in Korea, raised a little bit in China actually, so he's like trilingual, right? And he he received um, American citizenship not too long ago. Right. Um, and but because he, he grew up like a, like the latter part of his life here, listening to hip hop, hip hop was a way that he learned how to speak English. So that's legitimately how he, sh- he talks. Like he jokes around about like, oh, I sound like a Mob Deep skit, but like it's exactly that's he, yeah. He learned exactly. from listening to Mob Deep. Yeah. Uh, well, let me ask you this: just to, this is my own personal thing, and if you don't mind, where'd you study uh, film? Uh, I I went to Columbia's grad school for journalism, mm. and then also did the documentary program. So uh, yeah, so I don't actually don't know. F- I didn't go to school for film like right, you did. Right. So when you you told me that earlier, and I was like, oh, a film guy. I can <laughs> learn from him. We were talking about Ready Player One while we were waiting for you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. No, I was mostly asking because then I was gonna be like, Columbia. I know those guys. Right? <laughs> 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 they're cool, man. I got I, they're cool people. Oh, they're all right. Um, <clears throat> what else you got, Jordan? What else? I guess. What else do you feel comfortable sharing about? I guess like your professional background, and then we'll. Jump Let me on, ask you this. Let me we'll ask you. I, 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 uh, what was like probably like your biggest challenge mm. making bad rap? Like there are. I mean, 
I wouldn't say they were challenging. Everything was challenging. One, because I was doing it by myself, right? right? So I shot, edited, uh, you know, everything. The, you know, Jakey helped me get everybody. Like, I'd right. wake up. Uh, he'd wake up at, like, 3 in the morning and just send off emails. But otherwise, I was sort of doing it by myself. But, um, the th- <laughs> one... Nobody thought I made the movie. So anytime, like, right. you know, let's say J.K. and I would go out, and J.K. was my co-producer, um, we would go to, like, an event, and he'd be like, oh, you know, they'd go to J.K., you know, oh, you're the, you're the director. <laughs> you're the director, you yeah, know, yeah. Or, like, the co-directors, and I'd be like, nah. <laughs> you're, like, standing leave. there, like, look So at- if you watch the Hot 97 <laughs> interview... Um, well, that, in the beginning, <laughs> yeah. he's like, who are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the beginning, you know, so so it was, you know, a couple, a few of the rappers and J.K. and then me, and they're like, oh, you know, uh, Saifa was like... You know, you got got the uh, the Asian guys, and then you got the black girl, and yeah. I'm just like, you know. Then I was sort of like, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed. I didn't right, want right. to like say anything, but now I'd be like, what the fuck do you mean? <laughs> yeah, it's me. What, is that is that weird to you, son? Right, you right. Know? Um, but sort of like that, but, you know, whatever. That was fine. J.K. was always like very good about being like she is the director. Right, he really right. supported me, um, and I think like the broader in the broader sense, this is a movie about Asian. Asians, right? And so, well, uh, I I also thought of it as um, and I brought this up to JQ was that I thought of it also as um, a documentary about intersectionality. Sure, but in terms of what I'm talking about, it's for for people the gatekeepers. It's a movie about Asians. They don't right. know about this intersectionality and hip hop. That doesn't matter. So uh, when we got to like the distribution phase, trying to get um. Uh, distribution and sales agents it was just like we don't know who to market this film to we mm-hmm. don't know who's going to like this movie right. um, and then when it finally got to Tribeca it was like everybody wanted yeah. it everybody was talking yeah. about it it speaks to a lot of people because it's, yeah. yeah. it's not just a movie about Asian rappers uh, it's it's a it's a broader theme I don't think you can make a good hmm, maybe this is too too big to say but I think the the for me, the best films are the ones that are not just talking about that thing. Right, right. right? They're talking, they're t- speaking to something that's universal. Right. And this was speaking to something that was like, you know, uh, even in a place that you sort of are told you don't belong, you know, we all want to belong somewhere, right? right? right. And like, we're going to fight for that thing. Yeah. And that was sort of like the universal thing. Sort of like how Ready Player One is not just about video games, right? Right, it's, it's right, bigger. right. So, right. Um, <clears throat> but that was the the big thing was the gatekeepers just thought it was about. Well, Asian. one of the interesting <laughs> aspects is with like Aquafina, right? And like mm-hmm. her success. And yeah. it's like and some of these dudes are o- like. She's about to be in Ocean's 8. Right, but exactly. She, and, but they, one of the aspects of the film, right, is them talking about like, we want to reach that. Like, how do we reach that level? Like, we don't know. How, mm-hmm. Like, because she's a, you know, pardon it if mm-hmm. I offend anybody, but right. she's a cute Asian girl. So, like, it was easier for her to open that door. And, yeah. Like, so, that's like just another angle that totally. the film's looking at, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Shout outs to Aquafina. And now she's in Ocean's 8. Yeah. There you go. And Joe and I, are I saw the <laughs> Joe and I are recording in our parents' basement. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier, when you were like, "Shout out to my mom," I was gonna be like, "Your mom listens to the podcast." <laughs> I kid, I kid. What's up, mom? <laughs> um, want to want to jump into Ready Player One? Uh, yeah. I felt sure. like we. I was gonna talk. I was gonna ask. I asked you. Uh, 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 I asked you your opinions on Ready Player One, and you were like. Mm-mm. Not yet. Not well, no, it's not, I don't have like strong ones, but you know, I don't have many. So like any good hot takes. So. Salima, how do you feel about Ready Player One? I loved Ready Player One. There you go. But, but the thing is like I didn't read the book and I heard that people who read the book right. 
aren't as uh, you know as awed by it as I was. I had no clue what to expect. I hadn't seen any previews. I didn't even really want to go. I was right. sort of dragged along. So it was just like all the Easter eggs were really dope. Right. And like I just went back to my childhood, and I wanted to go. I wanted to go delete my Facebook. Right, I wanted right. to go like just <laughs> play outside. Yeah, you yeah. know. So that's how I feel about it's funny. Everyone. As soon as I was like, so yeah, you know, so I was a fan of the book. You were like. uh but not to for me because i've given my opinion on a previous podcast so i don't want to go too far into it but like being a fan of the book yes i had issues with some of the stuff he changed but i also was very entertained by the film and i've said this many times i've seen it three times right like if i hated the movie i wouldn't have seen it three times how how, do you guys give spoilers on this podcast uh we try not to but like you know spoiler warning if it happens you guys are getting it right now (laughs) turn it off actually that's never (laughs) good for a podcast don't turn it off don't turn um but uh yeah no like there's a lot and it, it was cool seeing spielberg back in that sci-fi I didn't realm, know it was Spiel- a Spielberg movie until the end and wh- because no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't I'm know I did not know anything about the movie. So actually as I was watching it cuz you see how many like franchises there are, you know, you, you got your Star Wars, you got your Capcom, you have like all these things. Right. And I was just like how did they get all the licensing for this? How did like it has to be somebody really powerful. Right, right. And so then I saw Spielberg and I was like, like oh, yeah, yeah. that makes uh, sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the man can get anything yeah. he wants. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> He's uh, offering, he offered to buy out the ADM shift. We were like, <laughs> no, Steven. <laughs> and the thing about Steven Spielberg, like, did you guys watch the HBO documentary uh, on it? I did. I did watch it, yeah. And I was never a Spielberg kid because, first what? of all, I don't... I, don't <laughs> I was very much a Spielberg right? kid. Well, I say that because, like, he didn't make movies for black kids, you know? It's That's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, it was like E.T. It was like this very, like... You know, white, white suburbia, yeah. yeah. It's funny because, like, if you know, and the doc gets into this, if you know, like, a lot of it is about his childhood and like yeah. issues he had with his father. And I actually totally. knew that before the documentary, having yeah. been being like a Spielberg nut. Right. But it's true; it doesn't his his films don't necessarily speak to uh, minorities because that he's doing it about his childhood and right. he's you know and yeah and then he did the color purple right and, right and, and it was and, like yikes <laughs> yeah so i just you know when it, i mean i got a lot of thoughts on just like uh how the portrayal of black people in film but right. um you know clearly if he, if he can write that experience it, i mean obviously it was a book but um i just think that black kids have been left out of this like this narrative of fantasy right. and like you know that kind of thing but the dope thing is is that now with stuff like black panther and yeah. stuff we're seeing that yeah. come back right yeah even though i hated it wrinkle in time uh, oh, I seen right time. um but you know either way right it's right. still you know a young african-american girl totally. that's yeah. being portrayed mm-hmm. in this like epic film right yeah uh, but so now we're starting to see these like fantasy films come. So hopefully that changes. I coming, really, I'm know? really into that. Like I told you, my favorite show is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. Like I would have, lo- I've, I've thought about writing a show about like you know Buffy ish about you know three black girls who right, just right. like you know kill demons. Like right. I want to see that. You want to know what? The, uh, so I saw that uh, they're bringing back Charmed, and it's three Mexican sisters, and really? I was kind of like, that's that's dope. That's you know, awesome, like man. I like that. Yeah. yeah, like not that I'm necessarily gonna like. I mean, I'll give it a shot, but not. I mean, even if I'm not a fan, it's still cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, some Latinas like get represented in yeah. the show. And, you know, that's it's sort of the sea change that's coming now. Like we're seeing this stuff, you know, like yeah. people are speaking up and yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's making a difference. Yeah. So what criticisms do you have of the, the movie having read the book? It's just there are so there's some stuff that's changed. I mean, I'm trying to not I'm going to speak a bit vaguely because I just don't want to like ruin. But sure. um, there's some stuff that was changed from the book that I totally get, right? Like mm-hmm. cinematically not going to work. Mm-hmm. But there are parts to the book, especially towards the back end, towards the end of the film, like third act, that totally would have worked and I feel could have mm-hmm. helped explain that world better. Mm-hmm. And I feel like everything, every screening I've been to so far of the film, I've, I've seen it three times, people get up and they cheer and they applaud. But then as I come out, I hear people saying like, oh, well, I didn't necessarily get this or I didn't necessarily get that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like had they taken that time and I'll, I'll just kind of. So <clears throat> Ogden Morrow, the, the partner that's still alive, he uh, plays a bigger role in the book. Mm-hmm. And I think that would have helped the film from a story standpoint. I think you're right. It would have helped. Yeah explain some stuff a little bit better you would have had a better grasp of that world you would have understood maybe how much of people's lives and how much of people's sort of finances right are Mm. wrapped in the oasis right so uh first off i would if you love the film definitely read the book the books Ah. i think you'll you'll love the book uh so if you have a chance to get to it um but you know it's just um it does a lot of classic Spielberg things, which I like, but then there's like some new Spielberg that I just kind of, I don't know. Like, like what? What's the new Spielberg stuff? It's not even. It's just more like a grasp. Like he had a better grasp of story when he was uh, younger, and yeah, he knew to uh, not rush through certain parts. Uh, and yeah. now I feel like he's he's. I love him. He's the yeah. best, right? He's or one of the best. Yeah. But I know you have the disclaimer every time. I know I do because I don't want people coming at me like, "How dare you say that?" Because I love Spiel. I was actually so like, I went to a screening. Did you watch Jurassic Park? <laughs> I went to a press screening of Rampage last night, mm. and uh, <laughs> Jordan's. Wow. So I'll say this. I'm not sure if there's like an embargo or anything on it right now, but uh, I'll say this: <laughs> awful script, right? <laughs> just over the top ridiculous but i i had so much fun uh, it's one of those movies that never takes itself seriously mm-hmm. right it's like this is just monsters smashing stuff up and you want to know what the scenes with the monsters smashing stuff up pretty cool uh the only thing missing was kevin hart you know i needed some <laughs> kevin hart but uh i sit next to this critic um uh and he starts talking to me about uh, we start talking about movies, and he, my brother and I are at the screening. We both, uh, and he starts talking to us both about movies, and then he goes, "You know what? Uh, what slowed Jaws down?" And he's like, he, or "He's like, you know where Jaws got bad, something like that." And my brother and I both look at him like, <laughs> like The Shining, and we were like, "Dude, what are you talking about now?" And then he he basically says the scene where, uh, if you remember Jaws, uh, um. The scene when the mother whose son had just died comes up and she yells at Chief Brody and she yells at the mayor. And to me, that's an incredible scene, right? Because that scene shows you now how the town is actually being affected by it, right? Like before then, everybody wants the beaches open. Now it's like, look what we've done. He understood that story arc, right? That that was needed. That right, right. right that beat was needed yeah. there. Like the so- social magnitude. Right, right. Happened, and yeah. I feel like sometimes now Spielberg misses those beats. Mm. And I love. He's an amazing filmmaker. And I feel like actually he gets those beats now when he does 
like his more dramatic pieces stuff like like Bridge of Spies awesome right right, right. Uh, but like when he's doing his fantasy stuff like the BFG right I was yeah. watching the BFG and I was like really into it for like the first two acts and then the third act just gets kind of silly and mm. kind of sped up and I, that's where I kind of lost I it, saw but. something recently where um, uh, I guess when he was presenting the uh, Ready Player One at South by he right. said this is not a film. This is a movie. Right. Like he literally said that. And right. it's weird because I think uh, Spielberg time, Spielberg, he um, sort of uh, has now com- dichotomized sp- fantasy and reality. Right. And so, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I know what you're talking about. you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I don't know. Maybe I don't know what happened to him. In this exactly. Situation. And the thing is, is Spielberg in the 1970s and 1980s would have never done that. Right. There, right. There's a there's a, if you've never seen it, there's a you can find it on YouTube. There's a video of Spielberg when the Oscar nominations are coming out. And I believe it's for Jaws. Uh, uh, I could be wrong about this. Right. And when all these nominations are coming out and you see like how pumped and excited he is for it. And it's like Jaws was meant to be like a B movie throwaway and he turned that into a masterpiece. Right. So young Spielberg would have never looked at ready player one and been like, this is a movie, not a film. You see? And that's where, and we, we discussed this in the last podcast, how he sort of, being a titan in the industry for so long, he yeah. sort of yeah. has become blind to certain things. Yeah. I think. So, I mean, do you think it's also a result of him having to compete with like kind of this new slew of like Omega franchises? Because I do think, because like think about it this way: is that like what you're saying, right? Like, you know, Jaws and Jurassic Park right. aren't really a far cry from each other, and so you're saying the difference between movie and film, right? right? Mm-hmm. By the way, that that critic also decided to knock Jurassic Park while he was sitting next <laughs> to my brother. <laughs> Okay, I don't know who this guy is. He will remain nameless. <laughs> but note to self, never watch a movie with, with, with this critic. Like, with ever. said critic. You, they, you, were, you were this close to having a, a 10 o'clock news report about some guy getting beat up in Lincoln Center. <laughs> uh, um, continue, sir. No, nah, but I, I know what you mean. And it's like, um, but, you know, it's funny because, like, Ready Player One, I think the reason I was, um, even for me, like, I knew going into it, Spielberg had directed it. But I was I even had a hard time wrapping my around wrapping my mind around the idea that he did because I mean it re- relied so heavily on computer graphics, which right. felt like something that he would normally would wouldn't do. Right. And I admit I didn't watch the last Indiana Jones movie. Right. Shame on me, but not shame on me. Not Shia shame on you. Shia yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't worry, you're okay. Yeah. yeah right. Um, so I don't know how much computer graphics went into that. <laughs> tons, <laughs> tons, for tons, yeah. right? Um, and but I just feel like that was like you know his approach was never like like you know we've talked about this before where like. Um, the best movies were the ones that used like actual like costume design and actual like physical like pieces. Right, practical effects. Practical. I love Hook. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Hook is one of those Spielberg films that like you you either love it or hate it. I know a lot of people who hate people it. Hate that yes, movie? right. I have the same reaction. I love <laughs> so Hook. Surprised. I love Hook. Okay. But it, it is very much like a love or hate. Like a lot of my friends like Rufio, dudes Rufio who. Of course. Rufio. Oh. Dante Bosco? Dante Bosco. <laughs> yeah. Dante Bosco, also That's right, of, um, of, <laughs> <laughs> of what? Faking the Funk. <laughs> Faking the Another Funk. Another 90s classic. There you go. That, w- that in this day and age would have been a Netflix series, right? But, <laughs> That's true. But got demoted to the blockbuster show. <laughs> yo, for anyone that has Faking never, the Funk. Every five years, I always follow up, yo, Faking the Funk is actually like a, a decent Such movie. a good movie. It is. <laughs> there was Faking the Funk. There was The Breaks. Did you ever watch The Breaks? 
It was the, the white you person. You want the white? <laughs> Pete, who you met earlier yeah. today, uh, who worked with, brought up the brakes to me. <laughs> and I had never seen it. And I was like, yo, how did I how not, did see, not this? see it? But that's the thing is, I watched all those movies in the 90s and I had never seen the brakes. <laughs> I was like, how did I Have not see Have you seen, seen that? Movie? No, I haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, it's, Joe and I are on a search for this movie called Neo Ned. <laughs> Never heard of this. It's, it stars Jeremy Renner, right, mm-hmm. as a neo-Nazi get, that gets committed to an insane asylum, and he falls in love with Gabrielle Af- Union, oh, <laughs> yeah. right, who who is also been committed because she thinks she's the reincarnation of Adolf Hitler. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> it's like that. That's that's a joke. You guys are no, no, no. This is it's a real. real. This is a real <laughs> what neo-Ned? Neo Ned? No, we need oh, to yeah. find this. I need when to find. It? When was it? 2005? Something like that. Yeah, yeah Netflix, if you're listening. <laughs> Neo Ned. <laughs> uh, yeah, I need to. That's a movie that yeah, like, I can't to go to my it. grave till I've yeah, seen yeah. Okay, we were talking about Hook. Costume design. <laughs> like, costume design. So, so costume design. Practical well, well, effects. Practical yeah, effects, yeah. You know, um, See, and that was kind of what I thought was a little jarring. You were right. watching Ready Player One. So the thing know. about, like, so there's a lot, like, a lot of hardcore like Spielberg, like '80s kids, like myself, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or sort of knock some of these the old the old time filmmakers for using a lot of CGI now. Yeah. I don't necessarily do that because what they were doing in the '80s with practical effects was innovative, right? So they're all about innovating, innovating. But it's mm-hmm. but I feel like you need to know how to toe that line, right? One of the great things about Jurassic Park is. A lot of practical, a lot of practical effects, a lot of CGI effects. Right? They know how to mix, balance the two, and now it's all just let's do. You can do it in CGI, CGI. Yeah. So like, yeah. there's a great uh like behind the scenes thing for uh, video for Force Awakens. They're talking to J.J. Abrams, and he's like, "Sorry, not Force Awakens. Actually, for the Last Jedi." Right. And uh, Ryan Johnson's like, "Oh, George Lucas came to the set." And as soon as George Lucas came came to the set, he was like, oh, you know, I'm really happy with what's going on. But then he his biggest gripe was he would look at stuff and be like, oh, you can just do that in CGI. You can do that in the computer. You can do that in the computer. Why are you doing that that way? And I'm like, that breaks my heart because I'm like, it's come also on, annoying man. to have some like, guy come sometime... to your set and tell you how to do your shit. Right? <laughs> exactly. It's so fucking annoying, man. Well, did, some old you, guy. Don't you think like Ready Player One because of it's like a VR sort of feel that it, it it's warranted. It's, it's yeah. warranted. Yeah. 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 And warranted. I, and I, and that's one of the things going in. Uh, I was telling a couple of friends when I was seeing them. I was like, the CGI in this film is totally warranted because they live yeah. in this computer world, right? Yeah. So that's uh, and it's funny because like all the stuff that happens like kind of outside of the oasis in Ready Player One, I really like. Mm. Like I think he shoots it really well. Looks yeah. like classic Spielberg. Ah, like there's this I great see. point when you remember when uh, the mail truck like skids away from them yeah, and all yeah, these like henchmen yeah. kind of yeah. run up and then they stop running and they're huffing and puffing oh. and the camera's like coming up and it gives you this shot of like them running in the in the like sort of in the foreground and the van driving away and right, I was like right. that's a oh, classic yeah. Spielberg right, shot. Right, right, right. right. So they, there's some stuff that just feels like, oh yeah, this is Spielberg kind of in his old world. Yeah. But then from a story standpoint, that's where I feel like he. Yeah, you know, he yeah. I, I, so my my take my my gripe was that um, and I like I enjoyed it. I came out enjoying it, but I also had this feeling in my in, in me that was like, how much did I enjoy it? And mm. I think part of it too is that um, the skeleton of the actual storyline right. is like kind of stuck in the '80s, right? Like it's like you know, oh. think about it, it's a, it's a guy like sees a girl who's doing like guyish things falls in love which which, which um, my brother brought up the same criticism towards um stranger things right with season 2 right with, i didn't see season right. 
Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I know, I know. Uh-oh. Leave. Leave. <laughs> I was ready for it, yeah. Um, no, I'm um, <laughs> joking. Totally joking. Um, but yeah, so like there was that, the, the skeleton, the storyline was a little like um, trite to me. And also um, oh. even the whole thing with, um, what is it, uh, H, right? Right. Yeah. Um, the whole time I'm trying to figure out, oh, whose voice is that? Who's, I, I know this yeah. person's voice, right? And But at the same time, it's very obvious that they kind of added that trope of, oh, that's like his ethnic sidekick. Totally. You know? Like, you <laughs> yeah, tell, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, and then even there's parts where where um uh where H says like, hey, how do you know this person isn't gonna be like you know a three hundred pound guy named Chuck in the middle of suburban Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. And you're watching it and you're like, yo, but see, that's like something that if you had watched this in the '90s, you'd laugh at it. But you watch it in like 2000, mm-hmm. anything after 20, 2012, you'd be like, that's problematic. Throwing up in my mouth. <laughs> um, <laughs> But in all seriousness, it is kind of like questionable because it's like you, there was a, there was an opportunity to like insert something that would have just like flipped people's like right. you know change people's minds you know like uh, what? Um, well, maybe maybe instead of it being kind of like I mean spoiler alert spoiler alert mm-hmm. okay um, the woman who he's chasing after is actually a, a cisgender white woman mm-hmm. right her, her 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 only quote unquote flaw is that she has a birthmark over her eye which yeah, isn't really yeah. like like a huge flaw sure. right. right. If she if she had been like maybe like um someone from a different ethnic background or maybe there was something physically that like maybe she had like mm. you know maybe she was like a wheelchair maybe there was something like why she was doing this that right. would have really like changed people's perceptions uh. of it I think it would have added a lot more value and also given a space for um you know for people to actually to, to actually like um really think about these right. things you know but also but also like even if he wanted to go that direction maybe imagine he did find out it was like you know like a, like a, a trans man right right. I, it probably wouldn't have gotten the rating that, like the sure, the, the family yeah. rating that it got. But you know, it would have. You know, the, you could tell. I could tell you the think pieces after that would be phenomenal. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, medium would have been lit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, now this timeline yeah. would have been like right. lit. It's funny that <laughs> that angle in the book. It, it, it's still the same. Like her, it just being this like pretty girl with a birthmark on her face. But one of the things they did change. Which I was a little on the fence about, but uh, so like Wade Watts, the lead kid yeah. in the book, he's supposed to be like pretty heavy set, and then like oh. through time he like works out kind of like gets himself in a little bit of shape. And like one of the only man. reasons I didn't gripe is the kid Ty Sheridan, who's I I, I think he's an awesome actor. Like he, he came up early in, in uh, Mud. He was Cyclops, but oh he was Cyclops. Yeah, That's what I saw. yeah. yeah. but he yeah. was in a dope film called Mud. He was in a great film by David Gordon Green filmmaker I love called Joe. And it, these are all on Netflix too. Your name is Joe. I know, you know. <laughs> uh, so he's a really good actor. So I was like, I was like, it's cool to see him mm. have this opportunity. And he's not, but they he's not like a conventionally. Really. No, no, yeah, yeah. He's not like uh, like a Zac Efron or anything right. like that. You know? Exactly. <laughs> um, Jordan's cracking up over <laughs> here. What man? Good looking guy. <laughs> uh, note to self about Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was the book was written in like 2011. Uh something um, like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. So um I would say that my criticism is uh was in the storytelling. So, I didn't have that many criticisms, but right. uh there were certain things that I didn't really understand. You have this Artemis character who says, you know, um this IOI has done this crazy thing to her family. I, I they almost just sort of rushed through that, right. and um, you know, then this kid's okay. Let me spoiler alert: something <laughs> big happens to where he loses somebody in, in his life, and there was like no time to like grieve or anything. Right, it's just right. like let's move on to the next thing. It was it felt very 
some of it felt rushed. Right. Um, and I think that was to the detriment of uh, a bit of the story and uh, the character development. Right. And I think that um, they didn't do a great job in explaining IOI, right. I think. I didn't understand this. Uh, not that I didn't understand it, but the debt. You know, this right. whole debt thing right, and the slavery. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, Joe and I said the same thing. But this is exactly where I'm telling you yeah. that that point where that character Ogden Morrow, yeah. he's supposed to come in there in the book, right? That, that's basically like after uh, he loses that family member. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's when like the Ogden Morris kind of stuff kind of okay. kicks in, and then you would understand because then you can understand IOI more. You uh, can understand. Are they like military? Are they military? Because then you see no, the, no. The, see, so like know? the whole like, see, like the, the whole one of the things that made me like cringe in the film was when she's like, "Welcome to the revolution," and I'm like, everything has to be that in a movie. Now it's like, uh, "Welcome to." That's not in the book. In the book, uh, Ogden Morris basically like takes them and he puts protects them so that they can then take down the oh. it it's like it's much more interesting angle and it helps you understand him them and ioi more um. through that arc and I, I felt like that's where they needed to keep that part of the book and i would also film. say the probably i don't want to say the biggest criticism but one of the big criticisms i have is the um I think his name is Nolan. I forget what the the bad guy's name is. Nolan I, Sorrento. Yes, I feel like he was almost a cartoonish character. I love him. And, I'm not gonna. Lie. Okay, he's good, good character, but like I wasn't scared of him. You know, like no, you're not. But he's like uh, one Ben Mendelsohn, the actor. I love him. <laughs> I love him. But I, I, I and I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. He's not scary. He's like, he's a he's like a cornball. Yeah, kinda, it's a cornball. Right? But I loved it. I love that he played it because he's supposed to be this guy that just doesn't like you know he's like the suit that doesn't understand the world. And I feel like Mendelssohn played that to like the hundredth degree. Yeah, and I, I, I love. Yeah, it, there's right? this great scene where he's like, I love pop culture. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> when, I, when I'm at home, and they're like telling him what to say. I he's pop like, open a tab. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but like is that scary or is that like uh he just has a lot of money so he's powerful no it's like he you know he uh, he works for ioi and he's trying to basically like take over this world it, the thing is is if you understood how powerful the oasis was right, uh, right. how much of their yeah. lives are wrapped up in the oasis sure. then you'd understand See, what him that, taking it you know, exactly. over. I, I felt like it was like facebook like just get off of it right yeah, yeah, yeah. It just get off the oasis it, you, you know? can't do that in the in the so in the book you understand that people's lives are wrapped yeah. up in it like their finances yeah. everything yeah. money yeah. you get in the oasis like is money that you yeah. have in real oh. life and they try to explain Bitcoin. that briefly but it's so quick remember when yeah. the his aunt is like that was the money for our new house yeah. like yeah. but it's so brief and it's the same i felt with like the artifacts like the yeah yeah you know the yeah. the big shield that's protecting the last key at the oh, end yeah, that they're yeah. using yeah. spoiler sorry mm-hmm. and uh like the holy hanger all that stuff these artifacts <laughs> in the book there's one in the whole oasis and the oasis is like infinite right oh. so you're supposed to understand like how important these things are and also that explains how powerful ioi is because they're able to gather up all these right. artifacts Artifacts, but they did explain but. how, like, if you lose your coins. But it, oh, I always, I thought it, it almost felt like just like you know, you're Sonic or whatever, and you get hit. Exactly. Your so you're you, what you're supposed to understand is, is if you die, you lose all your 
your money, like your money in the real world, oh. most of that's tied into right. that. So if you die, that is gone. Right. But oh. it's not just very well explained. Yeah, so, so like, that the stakes weren't as high right, as right, right, uh, right, right. they should have been, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought up the point about pacing, though, and that uh, in the story, and that actually thing was part of the problem. Too, yeah. Because yeah. like, mm. um, like, first of all, you just described like the whole thing with Ogden Morrow. Is like that actually sounds like a better movie in right, a lot of right. ways. Mm-hmm. It actually would have explained a lot more. There's all these elements too that don't actually like didn't really add up to me while I was watching it as well. Like, um, like the magnitude of IOI and their power and yeah. influence. But also, like, the, the way they kind of explain it, where they just kind of, tri- like, add that moment in where he's like, well, yeah, like, um, Sorrento used to be an intern at, like... Right, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, And it's just like, okay, but, like, why would anyone invest that much money exactly. into this Exactly, in a former right? intern. If, and if anything, they would have invested that much money into, like, Ogden Morrow, right? Right, And yeah, that yeah. would have been better explained if they had put him into the movie more. And it would have also lent itself to, like, something that I felt like would be closer to an actual, like, like Spielberg movie from, like, that era. Right, right. right? Um, the thing with... um. Like it being it affecting their lives, right? Like what it's what's unexplained, and you kind of get this after the movie is that the reason everyone's so poor is because they probably have all their finances tied into uh, the oasis, right? Right, right. Yeah. And you don't realize it because it's just like, oh, it's just a game. And it's like, no, no, no. Like if you keep dying and coming back, right? And the only way you can sustain yourself is like being part of this paramilitary organization, right? right. Uh, you become indebted to it, right? But if you want to operate outside of that, you need to have, like be able to constantly stay inside of it, right, which is right. why people are locked in, right? Mm. So like, I feel like they glossed over like that part of it, right? I think I think they sort of in the in the beginning, what I thought was that. Um, people were so ensconced in this game that they didn't care about the outside world and that's why the outside that is part world of looks, it. So sh- looks so shitty. That right. is part of it. It's part, so part of it is that it gives people a better life, yeah. right? Like yeah. if you're in the Oasis, you can do anything, you can be anything, right? right? That is a huge part of it. But in the end, you also need to understand like how their physical selves are affected by this yeah. this world, right? Yeah. And that's through their their finances, through, oh, their, yeah. through yeah. you know their livelihood, basically. Yeah. And it's not it's just not really driven home in the film. And that and see that's why. So like the the three keys, like the the they're kind of like I, I don't want to. They are a little dumbed down for the movie, but mm. like I understand it, right? Mm. Like the movie, like the the movie and the, and the second key is different from the book, and I understand. I never really really griped over that. Mm. My biggest issue was that stuff with Agnamar because like it would have explained but that. But maybe world. It, I mean again I'm not I wasn't a Spielberg kid. Right. Um but maybe I almost feel like he wanted them like you don't want to like Spielberg didn't want to have that Dumbledore figure who right, just right. like f- you know figure everything out for the kids, right, you know, right. it's more like you guys have the power to figure it out on yourself. But that's what it is is it that's it it plays out that way in the book. Yeah. It's them figuring uh, it out. It's just that he, at a certain point, he understands I just have to give them a space to be protected. Yeah. Uh, and that that's all it is. Yeah. The whole thing with like, you know, welcome to the revolution. And she's like lived next to him this whole time, but she's part of revolution. Like that is a tired, tr- like I've seen it a million uh, times. Yeah, they all live next to each other apparently. Exactly. In the, in the movie, <laughs> which right? is not, which is also not the case in the, in the book. But, oh. you know, uh, I, I don't want to gripe about it. It's funny like how, like as we started talking about this, I was like, I don't want to go too much into this. And we've been speaking for like the last 20 minutes. <laughs> no, I mean, and I think my, my last point though, is yeah. that I think in an era when, I mean, like, not that all movies have to have, like, take, like, these social elements, but right. let's be serious. Gamergate was, like, a lot more, I think the social impact of it was kind of, like, um, swept under the rug um, amongst certain, well, f- I guess for people in our generation, it was a huge, like, like touchstone, but, like, for people, like, older, like, they don't, like, you know, our parents don't care about, like, Gamergate. Right. You know they don't I mean? know, yeah. You know, but, like, this is a movie that would have actually, 
I think benefit from adding a little more elements of that. Into no, I agree. It, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, especially since they have this whole thing where it's like you know never mention like your real name in the Oasis, because, right? Right, and like you see how that affects them, but it doesn't affect like. Like a like doesn't affect a woman as much as it affects a dude in it, right? right? But in right. real life, what happens when you know people are able to get your information and then like do some abusive shit to you? Right. That that there were consequences to that, right? Yeah. And I feel like if they had like try to like own up to that a little bit more, and that's why I felt like a strong female character as the lead would have been a better angle. Mm-hmm. It would have been a lot more compelling, a lot more interesting. And I think there was a way for them to take the Artemis character because she's you know she's a big character in the mm-hmm. film. You can you can't deny yeah. that, but mm-hmm. in the end, Wade is the lead, and I think yeah. there, there could have been a way to sort of have them both be the lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the, the book, even, I think he was sort of trying to do. A part of me feels like he was trying. He was to trying, do that but he didn't because she's definitely like a badass yeah. and she's like getting stuff done. But it just kind of doesn't succeed and it, and it may just be more because of like the structure of the story yeah. what have you but it, well the thing is that uh, you're okay not to spoil it but okay no i'm not gonna spoil, <laughs> I'm not gonna spoil it um it's but, been like, spoiled he, okay he <laughs> finds out about this love story because he didn't kiss the girl right right, right. and so like that's the if, if they're gonna go with that angle with the you know uh what, what's the guy's name um he'll um the original holiday holiday yeah. uh you know being in love with this woman um the parallel is he's also in love with this girl right, right. and that's how he finds the you know the first few key, the second key or right, whatever, right right so you know i don't know that they if they were going with that angle i don't know they could do that the other way around so maybe i don't know <laughs> we just <laughs> I'm don't trying know to, i'm trying to give just, you know, excuses but it, it's a, i enjoyed the film i'd still yeah. say go out and see it but it's just everything we just described sounds like a christian values movie <laughs> exactly you know, right. like, this movie's so revolutionary and different right, and you're right, actually watching right. it and it's like oh no it's a cisgendered man right, right. <laughs> boy falling in love with a cisgendered woman <laughs> right? and they do things together right, but the guy's right. in charge most of the time right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> they fight the power that's funny uh, <laughs> I loved it, guys. Watch it. There you go. See, see, Ready Player One. I, I still think it's a. Fun, you'll have a fun time watching it. Uh, so anyway, um, you know, do you have any like final thoughts before we wrap this up, Selena? Um, I don't. But you guys are great. I want to just listen to you guys all the time. First of all, you got to come back. Yeah. Oh, I would love to. I. Uh, but I if I come back, I'll be more vulgar. I ha- I'm gonna be more vulgar. This is me, like you first impression. Vulgar. Okay, you no, no, this vulgar. Is good. no, I said vulgar, vulgar. vulgar. Oh, vulgar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> So yeah, uh, you guys. What you guys are doing is really cool. I like you guys as, as uh, partners and personalities. Oh, okay. We got the seal of approval. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yeah, uh, subscribe. Well, guys, what well, one I want to say definitely check out Bad Rap on uh, Netflix right Thank now. You. And um, you got anything else you want to say? Uh, before? Follow me on Instagram, Lima Cake, I guess, uh, and Twitter, Lima Cake. That's dope. I Lima don't Cake. tweet that much, <laughs> but that's actually how you even yeah. Hit me that's up. how we came up with the idea. I, I tweeted something like, you know, Ready Player One gave me a mind orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Uh, we'll end on that yeah. note. Um, uh, thanks for the interview. Yeah, so thank right. you. Thanks, guys.